Welcome to the Tuesday Live Stream. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm on with Jack Spierko from the Survival Podcast and John Willis from Special Operations Equipment. Coming, He's coming to you from his studio. Apparently, he does that all the time now. Sometimes. Is that because you got Starlink? Uh, we've had Starlink here. Yeah. It works now, though. It does work. <laughs> we, don't, we don't get, like, Matrix John anymore. No. In multiple echoes. Oh, something else is playing somewhere, perhaps? Yeah, uh, I, I think it's gone now. Okay. If, cool. if, unless it jacks with you, it's on your end. So yeah. it's not a big deal. You're yeah. like getting your own voice back or some shit. I hate that yep. when that happens. Fuck anyway, man. well, what'd you, guys, what'd you guys do to ring in the new year? <sighs> Went to bed at 9 o'clock. <laughs> I made it to 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're always we're always in bed. Like, we don't ever go out where there's a crowd or just the risk of, of being hit or... Like we we never have done the New Year's thing. We yeah. don't we're we're never even awake at New Year's typically. I, I just saw a thing and it was Gen X ringing in New, New Year's nineteen ninety three and it's like a dude in a hood and he's jamming in Nirvana and shit and then it's like and then it's like uh, Gen X ringing in New Year's twenty twenty four and it's just the dudes in bed asleep and that's yep. exactly that's a hundred percent exactly yep. what it was like for me. I resemble that trajectory. There, there were many New Year's days where I was very hungover. I was, oh, yeah. Not yeah. at all. This I was like, I'm going to get up and do stuff today. I, I remember 94 in particular because we were hungover <laughs> and watching college football. And the announcer, instead of saying three yards, said nine feet. And me and my buddy looked at each other like we couldn't fucking grok nine feet instead of three yards. Like we had to think about it because that's how diswired we were at that point. Yeah, those days are gone. So, um, folks who are joining us on the live stream, do me a favor, hit that like and bell button. Um, go to everybody's channel and follow them. If you're not following Survival Podcast, go there. Special Operations Equipment, Living Free in Tennessee. And if you have questions, put the word question in all caps first, and then we will handle your questions. Otherwise, we're going to talk about whatever the heck we want to talk about. You know what's on my mind right now is 2024. If things go horribly wrong... <laughs> What things do you think will go horribly wrong? Like, what do you see happening? I I don't mean like worst case conspiracy. Okay. Like, let's take conspiracies out, but like worst case scenario with our economy set up the way it is right now. What do you What do you think could happen? Do Do you mean things like you know, like the grid getting hacked and held for ransom, like in the past that's actually happened, or are you talking more day to day macro? I think any of that goes, I'm, I'm kind of coming at it first from day to day macro before we go into like more crazy stuff. Bell riots. Irish <laughs> unification wars. You know that's from? That's from Star Trek, the Irish unification of 2024. Yeah. That's, and so, that's, you have to like be a weird breadcrumby type Trekkie to know that. And I am not, although I love Star Trek. I just haven't watched it in a long time. Um, so, no, I'm talking more about how, how do you think inflation is going to be and what does that mean? How do you think interest rates are going to be? What does that yeah. mean? What do you think the political environment's going to be like as we go into an election year, arguing over, you know, whether the Epstein client list should be released or not? All of that stuff that's going on. So, so you know that. Go ahead. The Epstein, the Epstein client list is out there if you just look. It's, yeah. it's not a secret. It's been out there for years. Yeah. Um, 
do you think your groceries, do you think you're going to go to the grocery store and buy the amount of groceries that you typically buy? Do you think it's going to cost more or do you think it's going to cost less? As far as like your Palestine uh, protests, right? They, they have them. They're going on all over the place. They literally are locking down freeways on the way into Memphis last week. It's happening all over the place. It's just not being reported or we're just not looking at it. In the last two weeks, I've really not looked at any of that stuff. I know very little about what's going on unless I'm heading to an area that I look for it. So I just plan to do more of my own stuff this year, uh, even more than last year, right? More food production, more preservation, um, and, and then buy less stuff at the grocery store. So my price will probably stay the same and we will actually buy less from the grocery store, but spend just as much. But the food we buy is much better, right? We eat ribeye all the time. And when we eat ribeye at 630 in the morning, I don't, I'm not hungry at all, all the way up to lunch. If I eat eggs and, uh, you know, carbs with it though, if I eat an English muffin or a bowl of cereal or, you know, banana, I'm hungry by 1030. But if I'm just ribeye, I can go all the way to noon. And when it's lunchtime, I'm like, man, I'm really not that hungry. And we've got a dude that cooks awesome meals here. So just rely on ourselves more. Like I'm, do I now, as far as all the other stuff, will we have an election? Who knows? Will we be in war? Are we not already at war? Are they going to spin us and drag us into something else? Not only all the grid, you've got 24 municipalities at one time getting hit with that stuff. You had all the MGM properties in Las Vegas and other places in the United States that were literally offline for like a week. Like people who were staying at the, at the hotel could not get into their rooms. They could not use their pass keys. They couldn't use their remotes. The whole place was offline and it was held for ransom. And what did they do? They paid it. And then they got hit a week again, the next week over again. Jack, how about you? Well, I was going more macro, right? So like, first of all, I want to say that what you're about to see is not a brand recommendation, but I believe that every single person on the road should have something like this in every vehicle you own. And for those that are not on the video part of the podcast, it, that is uh, very large containers of pepper spray. And to me, there's a point where you have to start fighting back and this blocking the road shit. That is the easiest way to fight back. Everybody should remember Occupy Wall Street when they wanted to clear out the park. What did the cop do? He got a dog, the bounty hunter size freaking can of pepper spray. And he walked down the line of protesters and he just painted everybody's face. And some of them will be badasses for about, you know, 45 seconds. But it always works. It always works. It always works. And every time I bring this up, people say, I knew this guy back in Special Forces, man. <laughs> he used to put it on his MREs and eat it. Yeah, you know what? I eat fucking jalapenos, too. But you know what happens when you wipe your eye the next day? Right? Like, there's a difference between something being on your face, especially when we're talking about Antifa-type protesters, than eating it. So... I recommend that for the whole, like, we just need to start clearing highways. On the, what's going to happen, I'm more looking at the macroeconomics. Um, and I honestly believe that the deep state is in full operation. And I know that sounds conspiratorial, man. It's called continuity of government. It's been around forever. There's whole books written on it, you know, by the people that do it. Um, and it is designed to keep the orange man out of office. And that means duct tape plus zip ties plus bailing wire to try to hold this rickety ass economy together until the election. And so the question then is, you know, it's like Scotty trying to hold the enterprise together since we talked about Star Trek already. 
can you hold it together long enough to get to the end? And I don't know if you can. One of the people that I really enjoy conversations with on Twitter, X, I guess now, is a chick named Lynn Alden, who is a fantastic financial analyst, big time Bitcoiner as well. And she was pointing out how different the housing situation is than it was in 08 due to equity. So she showed this graph, and right before the 08 crisis, home equity levels were like at an all-time low. And, of course, they went lower when people went into default, but it was really, really low. Right now, home equity is at one of the highest points it's ever been at, if you own a house. But why? Well, because I don't know what your mortgage if you even have a mortgage, Nicole? I have $4,000 left on my mortgage. Oh, okay, then right you don't count. Like, yeah. I have a mortgage. Very small relative to the value of my house. But why won't I refinance or sell or whatever? Because I have a 2.95% mortgage. That's why I have $4,000 on mine, too, because it's so like inflation is higher than my interest rate on my mortgage. But then following the other side of this, if you get into a point where, where owners become distressed or a lot of us are getting older and want to retire and downsize, if that inventory starts to move, is that equity that we have actually equity? Or is it artificially inflated equity due to all the stupidity they did pumping money in the economy and the fact that there's no inventory? Like how long would would housing prices stay elevated if 10% of the housing went on the market? Just 10%. And I don't think it would be very long. And because it looks different and it feels different, people think it can't be like 08 again. I don't know, man. I, I feel that whole cycle. I was talking to Lynn this weekend. And I said, I feel this whole cycle repeating itself. It's just like history rhyming instead of direct repeating. Like this all feels very, very familiar to me. And I'm not saying it's going to happen this year because I really do think they will hold it together. And if you think about it, if they get the potato reelected or they (laughs) helicopter Gavin in or God forbid cackles or whatever, once it's over, once the election's over, then economic turmoil is in their best interest because then they can do things to save us. If it happens before the election, well, then there's an alternative, and we wouldn't want that. Why do you think there's no elections in Ukraine this year? Because there's a war. Because if, if there was an election in Ukraine right now, today, the war with Russia would be over tomorrow. That's why. Yeah, why? so I, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it the same way you are, Jack, where the cumulative impact of inflation is over 20%, and salaries have not ri- risen by that amount. So you have that pressure of things cost more yeah. and a lot of people are not earning more. We have a job market where it is both hard to find people to do work and hard to find a job at the same time, which is weird. You're starting to see big layoffs kind of roll out right now on the real estate side. Houses have gained a lot in value, but we also have out migration from states where the real estate's really high and in migration where the where the real estate's been fairly low, like Tennessee, where we are. I mean, we're high now compared to what we were, but we're not California high yet. Meanwhile, yeah. California is losing people. And with the interest rates where they are, if I want to sell my house right now and buy the exact same thing, it costs yeah. me more money. So so people are kind of sitting around, I think, with this, you know, the car kind of hanging off the cliff right now that they're likely to drop interest rates. I think everybody's like most people are saying that for a window in the spring Mm -hmm. and summer going into the election to try to keep, make it look like we're prosperous so they can get the potato reelected. And then 
that's your window. If you want to move, that's your window. If you are kind of stuck in a situation where you have an awesome low percentage mortgage and you can, you may be paying a slightly higher rate, but you won't be paying, you know, eight, nine, 10% rate. And then I'm hoping you're right because we need to buy a new vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd rather finance it if the financing is reasonable than write a check for the full value. So I think right now, especially if you're somebody who's feeling the, the, the crunch of the, of, of the, you know, rate raise in prices, the high inflation that we've had, uh, finding ways to make sure you are in a cash position as much as possible to make a move. If you want to make a move is really important. And I think you can do a lot of that. If, if you are in the habit of going to the grocery store and not cooking from scratch, just the change from that to cooking from scratch saves a lot of money on, on that side. And not, you know, I know it sounds like super flip, but not necessarily going out to eat. Now, at the same time, if you can find ways and find opportunities where you can earn more money right now, do it. Because then you're in a better cash position when that opportunity comes. And, you know, I hear I'm going to be doing a bunch of talking about like this really kind of mimics what was going on in the 70s, too, Jack. So uh, just steps that people took in the seventies to navigate all into the eighties with all of that inflation are things that you can do and it's tangible and you know, one step at a time, man, you got to hit it from both sides. Yeah. If your grandparents are still alive, talk to them about the seventies and if not talk to your parents, my grandparents retired, um, like in 1969. Yeah. And they saw, they saw their retirement savings become completely worthless. And yet, They managed to be retired for, I think, 30 or 40 years by uh, by by doing sort of side hustle stuff and by, you know, by living simply. And they traveled all over the country like they did all sorts of fun stuff, but they would also go help a buddy put their roof on and make some money. Yeah, yeah, I think we're going to all have to do things differently. I I was trying to pull it up. I'll, I'll try after I get done here and you guys can carry the the tune for a minute. Um, but I, you know, I did a couple shows last year on cutting your own meat. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people need to start exploring that. I'll, I'll pull up some stuff in a second and I'm not going to, for those who didn't see it yet, I'm not going to say what the value of the meat is or what I paid for it when I get this video up in a bit. But, uh, when I, when I do, I bet you no one that didn't already find out will be able to tell you that the number that they think is the number that I paid. And it, it, it's it's like a two two point five x difference in cost for yeah. the same stuff by having a little bit of specialized knowledge and a little bit of specialized equipment like you know a grinder. Um, and people are like, yeah, I follow this dude Meat Dad. Yep. On TikTok, yep. Right. You like him? He's cool. Oh, right? hell yeah. He's, he's everywhere. Like, he's like you and me, John. Like he could just hang out with us, right? He's like, I ain't bullshit you. Like I ain't selling you nothing. I'm just trying to help you. And you have yep. these people coming in there all the time, like, well, I can't afford a grinder. I can't, I can't afford to grind. Shut your mouth. Like this this shows me the pain is not yet sufficient to pull people out of the cocoon because you have to judge that comment totally differently than you would if it was some random person you stopped on the street. This is a person that's following this dude that wants help that when he gets help comes up with why the help won't work. And you guys, we've been dealing with that forever. All three of us as, as podcasters, influencers, whatever. Um, but to see it at that level with something so practical. And he's like, I bought this 
fucking meat grinder on Amazon for $25. You have to turn yep. it yourself, but if that's what you have to do, or use a knife, I don't give a shit. And people are like, oh, man, you showed a stand mixer yesterday. I can't afford one of those. And it's like, you don't want a solution. Yeah, have you have you even looked at Facebook Marketplace? Yeah. Well, if you can't get it new. People can't sell that stuff on Facebook Marketplace. You can lowball somebody. Eventually, you'll get a freaking stand meter. I'm about to sell mine because I don't use the dang thing. Talking about a stand mixer, those are the same people that get caught up and, and ended in a Hobart mixer. I mean, those are the guys, you come into the restaurant and he's in the bowl. They shouldn't own a Hobart mixer. Beaver, that Beaver stuff has actually proven to be really well. We have several pieces of Beaver. Jason's got a ton of pieces of Beaver. I thought it was like Chinese junk at first, but I mean, we have a lot of it. It's been good. And I see I see meat grinders that are fully functional at antique stores every weekend for 25 bucks, like the old silver cast heavy metal bolt on the side kind of stuff. And if you every I have I just bought a milk separator. The thing weighs probably 200 pounds and it's a big, giant cast iron one. And you know what they have on Amazon for under 100 bucks? An electric one. Which one do you think we're going to use on a daily basis? We're going to use the electric one. I've got the. The country living cast iron grain mill, that thing's badass. It doesn't make as good fl- as good a flour as the general electric plug-in. We're going to use the power while we have the power. We've got all the other stuff. There's two ways to do everything. Yeah, I, you know, I get whole animals, and that's been a great way for me to keep, like, premium meals coming without it costing a ton. And that's what we feed people here when we do events. And... I even was this year at the butcher when they asked me how you want to cut. I was like minimum number of cuts. I want all the parts and then I will thaw out additional and do the finer cut. So you can actually take that same mindset that Jack's talking about. If you do whole animals, if you use a butcher and just get bigger hunks, like I have the whole eye of round to play with two of them. What's the giant, what's the giant piece of meat? All the ribeyes come out. That's a rib roast, right? The rib roast becomes ribeyes. I watched a, a lady at Sam's club this weekend asked for one and the, and the dude said, yeah, it's, you get, you get three times as much meat for less of the cost than just buying a package of ribeyes and they'll do it at Sam's club, Costco. Most of your, most of your grocery stores that have a meat department, if you can catch the guy there, they'll sell you the other piece. They'll bring it forward for you. So real quick, just here, this is from a truck roll that I bought at a Costco business center. Um, just look at it. You can read the description if you want to cheat. Don't cheat. But just look at the volume of the meat that's that's here in this. And, you know, what do you think? And those in the back are what are known as a Denver steak. The tied roast in the front is a chuck eye roast. So it's basically like a uh, like a prime rib. Uh, it's just more for it on the cow. There's a ton of, like, pepper steak. And I could have cut that a bunch of different ways. There's a ton of, like, mock um, back there on that second board. That would be, like, mock uh, boneless uh uh, ribs, you know, what do you think you'd pay for that much meat if you walked in the store and bought it in retail packaging, just off the cuff? I buy ribeyes and they're, you know, $30 a piece, depending where we buy them. You know, and that wouldn't be that expensive, but I, I did the math on that. It's about $240 a meat at supermarket prices. I paid $81.87 for all that meat. Awesome. Now, people would say, well, you know, it's it's commercial meat or whatever. Yeah, it is, but I also did it to kind of demonstrate things is you know it's it's you get back to the same shit i was talking about like you try to help people and they want to tell you why it won't work right so like when i say well i have a guy down the road i can buy half a cow from once a year i don't have that 
So you give them another alternative and they tell you why it doesn't work. And that's why I still think we're in this point of like reality has not yet set in. It has not like so the people that are deferring this now will be the ones that are living on soybeans and ramen noodles in a couple of years. That that's because that they don't learn how to adapt while you can. Uh, here's a question: Are you looking for a new meat sponsor like oh I don't know Polyface to replace ButcherBox? I, I am. I don't know that I can use Polyface as a sponsor because I don't know that they have the volume of meat to deal with something like that. I'd, uh, I'd ask them. Because they yeah, have a what, pretty decent volume. What happened with ButcherBox? Uh, they got taken over by ESG type uh, diversity inclusion and wokey bullshit. I had and no idea. The dude that I've worked with for five years left, and his replacement left, and I ended up with these three chicks that wouldn't even talk to me about it. They just said wow. we don't want we don't want to give you free meat anymore. And they said if for every twelve boxes I sold, they'd give me one box of meat. And I told them to go fuck themselves. Um, before I did that, I was very cordial. I said, I would like to get you in a stream yard room. I would like to show you back end metrics so you can actually see what's going on here. They have no interest, man. No, they just, they didn't want to, they didn't want to, what they did is they made it so untenable. They knew I would leave. And then they kept giving me free meat for like four months. Cause they were too stupid to figure out how to turn it off. <laughs> and I they think finally, they figured out how to turn it off. They finally figured it out this month and I finally got charged and then I canceled my account. But uh, I've been talking to a company called good shop. I would like to bring on another meat sponsor. Um, I would definitely be open to bringing on Polyface. but I mean, you've got to have the ability. I, I don't know exactly what they're doing. Right. So, you know, I guess maybe if he's reached out beyond his own, herd i guess or his own supply because you know i i can do a really conservative estimate so there's probably 2500 customers of butcher box out there just from tsp and so you kind of need a company that can scale with that kind of model to i don't care that they get to the point where like we can't do anymore but then that doesn't work as a sponsor you see what i mean because now you've kind of maxed out right and then i'm still asking you for money every month so I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm thinking about some of my sponsorship spots, converting them more to affiliate type things. Cause I honestly make more money that way. Yeah. I make a lot more money. I don't charge shit. I charge 300 bucks a month to be a sponsor of my show. It, and I look at it this way. If you can't make money on that, you have a business problem, not a sponsorship problem, right? Like I, I don't know else how to put it. Yeah. I'd talk to him and see, cause he he's, He'll be upfront about if they can handle it or not. I don't know who oversees that part, but they seem to be able to do fairly decent volume and ship it out. You know, on the meat thing, I don't really want money. I want meat. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the deal I had with ButcherBox. It's so asininely stupid. It's millions of dollars of business a year if you add it all up for a $160 box of meat once a month. Yeah. That's, and they don't even know because they didn't give me the opportunity to explain it. And that's what I'm saying. That's back to people not being in touch with reality. And I could have gone scorched earth. I could have just picked the first person that said yes. And I could have just immediately started flipping people. And then just said, does that hurt enough? Does that hurt enough? Does that hurt enough? Does that hurt? But I'm just not that guy. Yeah. That stuff bites you later. Yeah. It's but like, I always have these elaborate fantasies of what I could do. <laughs> I, I'm just like, I know I could flip 500 customers in a quarter on a recurring subscription at that rate. That's about $2 million a year. Even a big company might notice $2 million of revenue missing. I I don't know. I don't know where to send them to, but we could definitely tell people to stop using them. I mean, it comes yeah. up. 
pretty I'm trying frequently. not to be a prick that way, you know, yeah. but I probably should. I've announced it. That's why it was even asked that I'm, I, they're not with us anymore. Um, it, it's, it's sad. The only reason it's a problem, I've had sponsors go away before. I don't care. The reason that sucks is because we did so much together so effectively. And I don't think what they realized is you have inside and outside sales and people always look at like podcast advertising at all as like an outside sales role. There's mm-hmm. a point where it becomes an ins. And this is okay, now we're back to more general content that might help people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there is a point with podcasting where a sponsorship relationship becomes an inside and outside combined role. And so then my job becomes for you not just to give you business, but to help you retain it. And a lot of these companies that are out, you know, willing to sponsor podcasts, they're still looking in old school media in their mindset, or they're thinking of like the podcast that's a talking head from a TV show that has a podcast too. Like those people don't have the loyalty that we do. I, you know, people know the names of my dogs. People know my birthday. People know the names of my grandchildren. You know, like people know the names of some of my birds. You don't have that kind of relationship in any other form of media that has the reach that podcasting does. But these new people into these companies, especially as they start bringing this diversity bullshit in, they don't understand any of that. If they did, you know, Bud Light would still be the number one beer of rednecks in America. Or Target or any of them, man. Yeah. (laughs) Really? Did you think this was going to help you? And I don't even know that they do think it's going to help them. I don't think they I don't think they care. I don't, it's the ESG stuff. They don't care, man, because the money's not coming from us, the customer. The money is coming from the financing on the back end. Have you heard this pushback about BlackRock owning all this stock? Yes. And they say, but BlackRock has non-voting shares. But BlackRock has non-voting shares. John, let's say your, your SOE was a much bigger company. It was public. Okay. And it was, uh, I don't know, a $500 million company. Good mid-cap size company. If I'm holding 20% of your stock and I call up, you know, you call you up and yep. say, hey, John, if you don't fucking do what I want, I'm going to dump 15% of your total stock volume tomorrow. Whether I have a voting share, does it matter a square root of all that I don't have voting shares in your company? Or can I tank your stock price at will anytime I want to and get you fired from your own company because once you go public – even John Willis then becomes like chairman of the board or whatever. And the board can ask friggin' if you could dig them up. I guess Tim, not Tim Cook, what's a uh, jobs, right? Can you yeah. get fired from the company you founded? Absolutely. It happens all the time. So how yes, much leverage do I have when I'm sitting on 15, 20% of stock of any public company, let alone a thousand of them? Yeah. It's Vanguard state street and BlackRock, And that's it, right? We start these companies. And then once these companies go public, we really have no say and we lose interest in the company. The people running the company has they don't care about the company, right? They're getting a check no matter what happens at the most of the people following those orders. It doesn't affect their bottom line revenue. It doesn't affect them in their lives at all. They have no vested interest. Most of the people running the companies didn't start any of those companies. Yeah, I would never take a company public at this point in history. I would never do it. I think like one of the few things that really made sense about what Elon did through the purchase of of Twitter was taking it private. Not like buying it in the public space and leaving it. Like if he left it as a public company, he would have no control over it right now. He had to take it private. I think he's done some other dumb shit, but at least he was smart enough to do that. What? You don't approve of the name change? I don't care about the name change. That's 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 his own stupidity. I just I love hearing everybody talk about it. X, 
formerly what, what Twitter. I love when people are like writing articles six months later still going X, formerly known as Twitter. That means yeah, your I mean, brand change did not fucking work. That's what that means. Man, I think that's great. I would, I should do that with my company because everybody talks about it. We are here talking about it. Yeah. I think, I think, it, I mean, everybody still uses the platform. You should call it I the brand it, formerly known as SOE. We <laughs> did. When I came back from prison, it was original <laughs> SOE gear. Yeah. And then there was a lot of question as to what those were, you know? Yeah. It, it worked. The brand formerly known as <laughs> SOE. Yeah. I like, I think, I like SOE media. So yeah. media. Well, we get media. they jump on that because that's Sony online entertainment. So we'll we'll see the gamer kids, you know, question in that when that name comes up on typically on Reddit. Yeah, yeah. I again back to the core thing though. I think we're in a point where people don't understand where we're at. I, I don't. I, I think the pain that's coming is. I think some people do and they refuse to accept it because you don't want to look at it. Kind of like when you like you feel a giant lump growing in your intestine or your side and you think it's probably cancer, but you won't go to the doctor because when it gets diagnosed, it becomes real. I think that moment is happening for a lot of people economically right now. Well, I also the point. Think, this is why I think this whole thing about the home equity thing that we were talking about at the beginning is yet to be the trap that falls over. There are a lot of people, I believe, right now that are maintaining their homes by the skin of their teeth. Yep. And they're going deeper into credit card debt at 20, 24, 25% interest every month. And there has to be a point where they realize, okay, I'm never going to pay this off. It's never going to happen. Like, even if the economy gets better, let's, I mean, you guys have had to pay off debt before. You know what it's like. The average person, if they're sitting on a, $30,000 credit card bill with a 24% interest rate. You could double their income. They're not paying that off in 20 years. Took me five, $40,000. But you made it the very, like, you are 1% of people that will make that, like, come to Jesus moment. This has to end. I'm going to do this. That was not like, a happy day for me when I realized how much of my money that came in every month just went to service interest. It's, I was like, um, half of my income is now going to interest. This has got to stop. If you are out there listening to us and you need to have Nicole's moment to do something about this problem, you need to think about it. The, I phrased this probably back in 2009. I think it was the first time I talked about this. Way. You need to stop measuring your debt in dollars. Measuring debt in dollars is a way to hallucinate yourself or hypnotize yourself into thinking it's okay. And believing bullshit like, if you don't owe somebody money in America, you're nobody. Some other bullshit like that. Measure your debt in time. How many hours of my life do I have to give up to make this go away? And then realize that number gets bigger every day until you bite the bullet and do it. And when you do, it should, if, if you're a breathing, thinking human, scare the living hell out of you. You start realizing this is five years of, of man hours of my life. Yep. It's terrifying. I When I did it, we had about 50,000 bucks. In, in debt long time ago before TSP. And I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. That's down. Or we're supposed to be excited. It's supposed to I be know it's the new year. Let's talk about that. But I mean, a lot of people right now are looking to change what they want or where their future goes. And it is worth every bit of pain I ever had to have had that moment and to have continued 
to make myself pay off that debt for five years. And if you listen to my early podcasts, I was paying off debt the whole time. And all of the things that I learned from you, Jack, and I learned stuff from John when I was like, by the time John and I were talking, I was mostly out of debt and growing the income side. And he totally helped me see that with a different perspective. Like all of those steps wouldn't have happened had I not taken the time to do the math to figure out where I was and that I was going to die poor with my social security, like being debited by somebody basically, if I didn't make a change. I was, yeah, trying, to, I was trying to celebrate for Mike there, but my reaction yeah. thing's not working. Yeah. What, what's up? It's not working. There, it goes. there we go. Woo. <laughs> um, yeah, Mike says he's got three years left and his house is paid off. That's great. Okay, so Nicole, let's play devil's advocate. So you just explained the pain you went through to get out of debt, and and this is going to be the response to half the people that are in debt right now. Yeah, but when you did nice. it, it was easier. Well, that too, right? I was going to let that one go. It was easier back then. Interest rates were lower. Inflation was lower, and I can't do it now. It must be nice because you got it done when you could do it, and I didn't. What do you tell that person? Oh, that's just a load of crap. It was never easy. <laughs> and even if it's harder now, if you do it now, the skills you get will be better than mine. But really, it's like I started by stopping the bleeding. And then I, I started getting ahead of the game. And I learned a lot of different things. It wasn't just the debt snowball thing that I did. I learned about rolling cards to cards at 0%. You pay 3% to do that. So I, I, my requirement was it was 12 to 18 months minimum time so that it was just that 3%. And then exactly. I was able to take my interest and divert it to principal. And that was a lot of the trick. But when you do that, the trap is now you have two cards yeah. and you can run up the other one. So I had to just not have them with me. Like I literally yeah. had to learn like a little baby how to manage my finances. But, yeah. you know. That's yeah, a lot of like over 18 months is less than 20% a month for 18 months. Right. Absolutely. And I know a lot more about from scratch living because of that time, because that was how we still like, I didn't do beans and rice, rice and beans. No, we, we ate great food that we grew. We like all of these things that you learn on a homestead or, or foraging or any of those things. I learned about them during that time. Like I was on hyperdrive during that time. And even the health things that you learn, like the herbal remedies. If you keep yeah. yourself out of the doctor, then you don't spend as much money on the doctor. And then you can use that money to pay off your debt. If you keep your like, body healthy, you don't, you know, yes. you don't have to spend money on, on as much medication. And that is money you can use to pay off debt. So I know it's hard. I know it's st it's still hard for me to stay disciplined about not going back down that road because it's really easy to look at the, the fancy new shiny like super super de duper de canner or whatever electric canner because I love canning uh, and decide well I can put that on a card and pay interest on it or I can wait and get the money for it and just buy it and learning not to buy the little things between here and there was was also something that took me a while somebody told me the other day because I just did a motivation week on my audio podcast where I went back. And I chose five episodes that keep you motivated to take control of your health, your finances, and your future. John, you're on one of those. And uh, sorry, Jack, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> all right. um, that's because I knew we were doing this one today. So 
along the way, somebody like I replayed an episode 61, which was my second year of podcasting. And somebody's like, wow, the difference in your your mindset from the poverty perspective is amazing. Like you used to always buy the cheap thing to get as an interim step. And now I just stopped doing that step and just waiting and, you know, figuring out how to do like, you know, somebody can't buy a grinder, a meat grinder then mince that shit up with your knife and put it in yes. a stew. And it's not the same as ground, but who cares? Like you literally can spice it as taco meat or Why whatever. Do they call it mince in it the does, UK. Because not it's not to be ground. And then get the grinder that will actually grind the meat. So you don't like blow your brains out with frustration. Or that one. I would say there is no problem with buying the $25 used grinder off eBay. Yeah. Using it so you can afford the good grinder. Then either save that one as a backup or throw that bitch back on eBay and get your 25 bucks back. Like there are certain pr- purchases to make in the secondary market that can just be recycled. But my old buddy, Hal Dodd, who unfortunately passed away way too young. He was a master of this. He would buy shit like he would buy kid shit, like not really kid, like adult kid shit, like badass go karts, drive it around his neighborhood like an ass clown for like three weeks. Throw that bitch back on eBay and, and make 50 bucks on it. So he got paid 50 bucks to behave like a child for three weeks and he enjoyed himself, you know, and if you're going to die young, you might as well, I guess, you know. Um, so, I mean, there are there are some places that but I think, yeah, not not buying things you don't need in that interim is a huge thing. But I think like the ballast approach is kind of like what you mentioned, like getting for me is like, let's cut off the bleeding. And then, John, you grow the revenue. You have to do both one way or another. Like the things I want to be really hard on in 2024 with my content Bitcoin one, that's coming tomorrow, guys. We're going to talk about being generation zero in Bitcoin tomorrow. And would you get on a multi-generational starship? Right. But also growing revenue. And I don't care if you're an employee. Well, then you better be the best damn employee out there and better figure out how to make more money as an employee, how to make your money go further um, and, and how to like grow the fuck up. I mean, I hate to put it that way, but we have a generation. We have generations Least I be just picking on the young children in the in the audience. Generations, three or four of them concurrently existing today, and all of them have an unbridled share of children among them. In fact, the one that we should pick on the least is disease. They, of course, they're children. Look at their age. They're supposed to be children. It's okay to be a child when you are a child. But when you're 40, 50, you got to grow up. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to grow up in the coming decade and boy, you better do it. You, cause it's, man, I, you know, I, I'm getting to the point. I'm sure you guys are, we're all the same age. You start looking and go 20 years, I'm going to be 70. I'm be in my seventies. I better do some shit with that time. Well, I'm here to tell you, like if you're 30 and you're like, uh, uh-huh, yeah, you'll be 50. Like, yep. It'll be like that. Do some of your dash, man. These are the good old days, right? Everybody wants to talk about the good old days and why they can't do things. These are your good old days. They're never getting better. Like they might get easier depending on what you do right now. Uh, everybody's waiting on the cost of ammo to go down, the cost of mags or the cost of whatever. That shit's never going down. When they added the fuel charge, the fuel tax, that motherfucker didn't go away. They just stopped <laughs> itemizing it. When they added the COVID tax, we literally had bills of lading invoices coming in that had COVID tax on them. That yeah. shit didn't go away. They just no. stopped telling you they were doing it. The price is never, ever going back down. And like Sonny said, we, when you're poor, you can't afford to buy trash. And Nicole, you know, you want that, you want that canner. I don't have a, any concept what canner we're talking about, what that costs. Let's say it's 500 bucks and you simply can't afford it. 
the, the, I go back to, I've been saying for years, the most valuable thing you have is an audience right now. If you went out and wanted that thing and you know you could buy it on credit, you could put up a post. Hey, I will can these things. You bring me the meat or I'll provide the meat. This is the price. I will spend all this weekend canning. You can come pick this up. This is the cost. Now you could pay that off. And I would wager to guess since we can get a Harvest Right freeze dryer through Home Depot, Home Depot will give you six months same as cash, right? So you can go buy that larger XL freeze dryer and you can put it on that credit card and you have six months to make that shit work. I'm of the belief leverage yourself to the point they're going to take all your shit, burn those boats. You're never going to have any option to fail and you're going to make it work, right? You're not going to go to sleep. When am I going to go to sleep? While I'm sitting there on that sewing machine and my head hits that machine. When am I going to go to sleep? While I'm loading those trays into that freeze dryer. And we both know that a freeze dryer runs for, you know, 36 to 48 hours. So we got a lot of shit. We can can a lot of shit. We can cut up a lot of meat. We can run that pressure canner. We can run that water bath canner and we can have people pouring in. So give us money and pay those cards off, and now you own the equipment if you truly want the equipment. It's just how people look at it, you know. We don't and have time. Yeah, we don't have time to convince motherfuckers to get out of the city anymore. Those people are going to be dangerous. Stay away from stupid people. Don't go stupid places and do stupid things with stupid people this year. And more importantly, disallow your access. If somebody's irritating you, remove them from your life. What's the number one question if all of us get, if we, if we really, I mean, there's several of them, but one of them is how do I, how do I get my wife on board? Why do you have to get out your wife on board? Right. Why aren't you just doing those things? You, you know, just do it. Whether she's on board or he's on board, man cave, she shed. Why do we have to have that shit? Why don't you just have a <laughs> life? Why don't we just have a life where we want to be inclusive? You know what Amanda did? Amanda's like, Hey, I want this backpack. We're looking at, at, we, I've got 85 backpacks hanging out there. My, my woman, we're, we're setting up an apothecary in an outdoor, an outside kitchen in one of the other buildings, right? I'm very lucky in that. But, but if you're wondering how to find your, your spouse, then maybe you should be the person that she wants, right? Be the person that your future family needs before you even have the future family. Fitness is free. There's a ton of shit we can do. But everybody's worried about what we can't do. Yeah, divorce her. That's that right. That's so sunny right there. You don't that, know sunny. That is not a joke. <laughs> yeah. I, how do I, how do I get my, you married the wrong bitch. Like we say that all the time. We've said it so many times. It became a podcast that Amanda and I do. <laughs> well, how does somebody stop you from making your life better? Like Maybe. when you decide nobody should be able to stop you. Yeah. I mean, you, you motherfuckers sneak and hide money because you're in some fucked up relationship where you have to do that. Can you not sneak and work out? Can you not sneak and lose some weight? Can you not sneak and fucking save some money someplace? I mean, come on. Yeah. The working out thing, like getting in shape, that's going to be another one of my big things to push to the audience. And like this all ties together because as soon as you say that, well, then we got to alter diet. Like working out's great. Working out's great for building muscle. Working out's great for tone. Working out's great for your cardio fitness. It's good for your mind. But you can't outwork eating garbage. I'm sorry. And and I don't know, John, you eat a lot of fucking candy and shit. Maybe you can, but most I people can't. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. You said something about candy or cookies or some shit. I don't, I don't know. know. But, 
but it, you can't, you can't, like, you can't go around eating garbage all the time. When you're 28, you know, Jesse was just saying 28 is a long time ago. You can get away with a lot of things you, you, you can't get away with in your 40s and 50s as you age. And so you have to change your diet. So now you have to change your diet. Well, now you have to eat better. Well, now let's, we need to up the protein and the fat. All right. So now we're going to start cutting meat. Now we're going to save money. But then you got to tell people, like, we just did a show with Ken Berry right before the shutdown about different levels of improving your diet. And we didn't start off with, go carnivore, you're going to die. I had to make a deal with him that he wouldn't say that before I let him on. And But we started out with just cut all the seed oils out of your diet. Cut all the seed oils, all the high fructose corn syrup. That's it. That's all you have to do, stage one. I know your carbon taste is going to go down because all every single thing in a box – Everything on the shelf, as soon as you pick it up, you're going to go, can't eat that, can't eat that. Where are you going to go now? You're going to go into Nicole's world of cooking from scratch because you're going to find out that everything that's pre-made is all got that shit in it. So then you're going to have to make your own food. Well, that's going to improve your health, and that's also going to give you more money. Now you're going to have more money. Now take that money, and instead of going, woohoo, I have more money, go invest that shit in yourself, in your business, in your education, in your equipment, whatever it is. And increase and it, like we need to be asset building. Like this is a, the real difference between rich people and poor people isn't about debt or anything. There's different ways debt can be leveraged. Lots of rich people leverage debt, but it's really about what do you what do you buy and never sell assets that accrue value. What do you never buy with your own money? Assets that decline in value, right? You never buy an asset that declines in value with your own money. That's dumb. You let somebody else's money do that stupid shit, and you put your actual equity into things that appreciate in value across time. Well, that includes not just like real estate or something like that, or Bitcoin or, or silver or gold or whatever. It includes you. It includes your mind, your skill set, your abilities, your business. And you all have a business. I'm going to say this one. You all own a business. You Inc. You that goes to work every day for a guy like John who just says, get the fuck at work or you're fired. You have a business. And if you work for a guy like him, you're actually better off than if you work for HP. Because if you went into John and said, I just want more, he'll go, what do you want? Get on it. Show me. I'll help you make it happen. And there's so many of you, you're sitting with employers like that. You think he's an asshole because he actually requires you to show up on time. I don't mean the people watching this. I mean, you think your boss is an asshole because he actually requires you to show up on time. And he gives you shit when you don't. And he threatens to fire you if you don't do your damn job. That's not an asshole. That's running a business so it doesn't go under. So he can keep paying you. That person, it could be your key to your next level if you went in and gave it a thousand percent. And if you treated it like it was your business versus your job, even though you're still being paid on a W-2, you would. And we have got to get in that mindset because you're gonna, there are two classes of people are not going to be poor and rich. They're going to be entrepreneurs and non-entrepreneurs. That's your class differential going forward. And it doesn't necessarily mean owning a business. It means the mindset of how you treat the value of your knowledge, your labor, your skill. So uh, Sonny is saying this. They buy gadgets but refuse to learn proper push-ups. They listen to motivational speakers but can't force themselves to be constantly consistent. As a person who struggles with consistency, what I learned is if there are things you need to do every day, you do them first. Like what I do with my first hour of the day gets me over that. And then the rest of the day goes fine. So if I know that I need to exercise, it's best if I just get up and exercise every day. Correct. Out of, yeah. out of the shoot. Like I didn't today because I wanted to do things for this, but I am scheduled to exercise right after this. And I made that decision. Um, this book is called Outlive 
by Peter Atia. And this is one that Doc Barry recommended on a podcast. I think it was an interview John and I did with him this summer. And I walked out of that and my dad, I told my dad to buy it. And he said, I loved reading that. I wish I had read it when I was your age. And this is about what you can do to set yourself up for longevity and having your health last longer into your later years. Does Is it a promise that if you do all these things, that will happen? No, but. You know, you motivation, get this on an, on an audio book and go out and start exercising and listen to this while you're exercising. Listen to that episode Jack just did with Doc Barry. Listen to things that keep you focused on being a better person. 100% on do it first. So way back, I'm talking, I was in my 20s, my first big sales job. The mentor I had said, if you cold call enough to get one good lead a week, You'll make them you'll 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 sell a million dollars worth of of contracts in your first year. That's all you have to do is cold call enough to get one good lead per week. If you get one a day, you'll make more money than our CEO. Yeah. And so he said cold call for two hours a day. You know what I hated doing? Cold calling. Being told to go get effed like 27 times right after you showed up for work sucks. No one likes it. But what I realized, like I was working out on my way into work. And I'd be at the gym and I would be like, I'm wearing my lifting gloves and shit. And I felt like I'll just kick anybody's ass, right? Like you're all pumped. So I started going in. I'm like, I'm cold calling for the first two hours. I'd shut my door and lock it. Leave me alone. Unless the building's on fire, do not bother me. I put a full length mirror on that door and I throw my lifting gloves on and I put a headset on my phone. I'd start making cold calls. And I was just in complete degaff mode. Like, I don't care what this person says to me. If they're going to tell me no, I want to know now. I want to know in the first five seconds so I don't waste another breath on the person that's going to tell me no. I became the top salesperson in that company in seven months because of doing the thing that sucked the most first. I've I've done shows on prioritizing your homestead. I make a list. If I don't do this, something's going to die. Guess where that goes? First. I really hate this. That goes second. This needs doing, but I hate it. It goes second. And so unless something's going to die or somebody's going to die, the, the calls way, always do the thing you don't want to do first. No, yeah, you guys all have social media footprint. Every one of you should. I don't do social media. You're on social media right now watching this. Yeah. Yes. Put out there what you're going to do. You're, I, at 8 o'clock every morning, I'm going to work out. Don't worry. Nobody's going to even notice you're doing it, right? But the first time you slip up, there's going to be three assholes calling you out on it. If you're really going to do it, prophesize it. Put it out there. Make it it a big deal, right? Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to tag three people that need to do it. Don't worry. They're not going to interact with you. They're they're just going to ignore you. But the first time you don't, one of them will be there to be like, hey, what happens? I didn't see you. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to do it, do it. That's why CrossFit was such a good fit for me when I was doing it is like, if I had missed a workout, I'm getting text messages. Nicole, where are you? Are you sick? Like, why aren't you here? Is it because you can't get off your butt? Get off your butt and come to the later class. Like, we haven't seen you today. That was very, that the, the gym I was in was very helpful in that way. And I needed it. And I knew I needed it. So I set myself up for that. That's actually why I declare public things on the podcast. It's like, well, now I told my audience I'm going to do 75 hard. So I really can't freaking fail. That's why for the first 70, 80 days of when I when I started losing weight, I did a, I did a YouTube segment every day that had nothing to do with the podcast. It was totally separate because now I'm accountable. Every day I was giving my weight, what I ate, you know, 
And in the day I picked up a 35 pound plate and dropped it on the floor. So that's how much I've lost in the past three months. It was worth it. You know, it doesn't feel like it's worth it when you're not having a drink when you want one or you're not eating something at a party or something. But once you get to dropping that weight, you realize I was carrying that shit around. And so many of you, you're carrying around not just excess body weight. You're carrying around so much bullshit. Every single time you're like, well, I would if I could or I wish I could or it must be nice. Like That's all bullshit you're carrying. Like I heard somebody explain this and it was about getting rid of a relationship, but I've kept it. And I've heard I heard this back. I was like in my teens. And this guy was explaining to this chick, like, this guy was a complete loser she was with. And he was sucking all the energy out of her. And he's like, it's like you have a busted-ass car with bald tires. And then you have all this baggage and this this dude sitting on the roof of your car. Your car won't go anywhere. The first thing to do is throw his ass off the roof. Now your car will move. And then you can get to work. And then you can buy some new tires. And then you throw all the baggage out and get some new tires. Now the car really goes, and then you can buy a new car. But until you dump this shit, you're just going to sit there and spin. You're not going anywhere, and you're having all this sucked out of you. Well, that's a metaphor for so many people in life, right? Like, there's so much bullshit about my past. You don't know what it's like. If you're using terms like you don't know what it's like or you – no. Like, it doesn't even matter. We can play the whole, like – Who's poor are you or the son of a bootleg coal miner if we want to do that or whatever. But that doesn't really help you, right, to know where I came from or where John came from or where Nicole came from. What helps you is to realize as long as you're doing that, you're, you're clinging to your bald tires, your busted-ass car, and your baggage. And that shit needs jettisoning. And this, you know, I know it's New Year and all. I'm not talking about a New Year's resolution. The number one made a, way to make sure you don't do something is call it a New Year's resolution. That, that's a that's almost a guarantee for failure. If you doubt me, just p- stick your head inside a gym a gym today. You don't have to join. I'm sure there'll be a dude in there named Chad. Like, yo, bro, let me tell you about the gym. Like, don't even talk to Chad. Just stick your head in at about five thirty, six o'clock in the evening to any gym in America this week. Wait thirty days, February second, third. Stick your head in that same gym and tell me New Year's resolutions work. Go ahead. Tell me. And Chad will be like, yo, bro, come on, man. There's lots of room now. Right. Like that's you need a trainer. Yo, you need a trainer. Yo. Right. That's that. That chat will be there. I promise you in February or you can do it because you need to do it and you don't care what the date is. You shouldn't care what the day is, but if the new year is what motivates you to make a change, then go for sure. it. Sure. Yeah. I just think you will. I just don't think you will. If you if you phrase it that well, way. if your goal is to lose weight. Don't make that your resolution. Make your resolution something that instills discipline, like working out once a day or whatever. Yeah, make it something like you can you can eating keto or you don't do it. Like you you immediately can be like, no, that's bad, bad. Like you a little shock collar, put it around your leg whenever you don't work out. Shock yourself, you'll go work out. You know. Yeah. (laughs) That's. I mean, that's what seventy five hard really taught me as I've had time to think about it. Is the small decisions I make every single day matter way more than whether I buy that forty five hundred dollar roaster or whether I move to a new homestead or any of those really huge things that we spend so much time deciding. I'll give you the seventy five cent life improvement plan. You'll get two really good uh, rubber bands. Stick them around your left wrist, and every time you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, pull them out as far as you can and smack yourself in the fucking wrist. Right? It just like. Whack! Ow, that hurt. Go do it, right? Seventy-five cents for two rubber bands, and you're golden, right? I should I should come up with a program, long sales coffee and all, 
Like, I guarantee you, you follow the Jack Spearco Life Improvement Protocol. And what you get in the mail for $99.99 is two rubber bands oh, and, and an instruction card. Dude, Just don't be cheap. Card. Send them four. Four rubber bands? So they have a backup. Backup. You know, one more break. You know what? It'll be four different rubber bands of different strengths. And you start out with the one that's the strongest that hurts the worst. And then you wean yourself off. Now it's $199.99. Money back guarantee. If you send in your journal of doing it, you have to do it for 60 days. I and then you need to have a, you need a mastermind group on Telegram that like where people talk about how they're rubber banding. The rubber band mastermind group. We scared John away. Yeah, he'll be back. He's probably yeah. going to build something to hurt people with. Like so you can yeah. hurt yourself like a Khalees or something, you know. Possibly. Well, maybe he's going to come back in and go full. So when he was talking about being accountable, that's kind of your three things. Why don't you tell yeah. people about that that maybe have never heard about it? Because I think that's one of the best things you've ever done. Yeah, the my three things method is a way of cutting through all the, the crap that we tell ourselves we have to do every day and narrowing down to up to three things every day uh, to move yourself forward. And if you do it right, you start by having your long term life vision. Jack's, I think, how many stomps did you have? Twelve stomps. Yeah. Uh, really can help you get there. I have a method for developing that. You set your life vision. You describe how you want your life to be, not what you're doing. And then you talk about how you're doing it. And then you talk about some like 18 month big picture accomplishments that you want to have. Like one of mine was getting out of debt way back when that was something I was in the middle of. But then every day you choose up to three things. You can have one, three things, but you cannot have four, three things, three things, because that's what your mind can manage. And I ground mine because I have a strategic plan that focuses on financial. Um, it's financial and then physical, mental health, and then a, a, a more particular relationship community based goal. I choose one thing from each of those three areas almost every day as my three things. Unless it's self-reliance festival, which case my one thing is self-reliance festival during that event. That's it. That's all that I'm there for. I'm not there to do anything else. Uh, that has, I used that to, to change my life in my twenties and ended up reaching my goal within five years. One of which was to travel all the time. And it turned out I did not like that. And so I did it again and I, I changed to what I do now. And it's been great. I just finished writing the book about that. So that's rolling out this year. And it walks you through how to do it. We have a mastermind group on Telegram, as a matter of fact, to keep people accountable. You post it publicly. Yeah, I think quitting is highly underrated if it's done for the right reason as well. Like, so if you quit trying to lose weight because you decided that you want to eat cheesecake, that's a bad form of quitting. But like what you just said, like, I made this goal. I want to travel the world or whatever, travel all the time. And then you did that. You're like, well, this sucks. Well, that you should quit doing as soon as you figure out that it doesn't give you what you wanted out of it. Right. Like that's. That's not good. We did have a question here. I'll hit this because it's probably a good time. Uh, Survivalizer says, sorry to ask again before the subject, came, what kind of brush did you recommend for loose skin prevention? So when I lost weight, I knew I was going to lose so much weight. I was afraid of having to go and have cosmetic surgery where they actually take skin off of your body because I lost in total about 80 pounds. That's a lot to lose. And usually you would. Well, I didn't. And I'm not recommending a brand here, but he's asking. So I'm just going to say this is the type of brush for like five bucks. Uh, it's just a stiff bristle brush. And all I did is before every shower, 
I basically brushed all my skin, like especially around my gut and everything. And then I took a shower and then after I dried off, I brushed my skin with it dry again. That's all I really did. Plus, you know, I think, you know, Ken says keto alone will help with that because you're providing the collagen and you're also, it was also like, it's beyond that. There was, I didn't even really know that it really mattered what I was doing it, but I was doing uh, intermittent fasting. And then you get into autophagy where your body's actually consuming the things that are unnecessary at that point, like they need to be recycled. So your body actually starts to eat those skin cells, but those two things together, I don't have any hanging flabby. And I've seen a lot of people who have lost weight. It's like, dude, you really need to go see a plastic surgeon. And for me to say that is a big deal. Cause I think most plastic surgery is stupid. Like if you get disfigured, that's what plastic surgery is for. Like all the, like trying to stay young when you're 90, like look at celebrities that do it and get addicted to it. And, and you'll see why I don't recommend it. It's that surprised look they have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like there's some point where like, no matter how much you money, how do you have a doctor should say, no, bro, I'm not doing this. But I guess when you have that kind of money, you know, Joan Rivers looked like the Joker by the time she went. Like she wouldn't smile. Was she the one who wouldn't smile? Cause she, didn't uh, I don't think she could smiling. stop smiling. She was literally like this. Oh, okay. It was somebody else. It was that lady. I can't remember her name. No, no never mind. It'll come I to me. They killed her. Cause she told everybody Obama's wife was the tranny. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, Man, that rumor will not die. She's, she's like, everybody knows not it. A rumor. Like three weeks later, you know, in the arms of the angel, like she's gone. <laughs> it won't. That rumor won't die because that's not a rumor. Yeah. I, no one's explained yet what the bulge on Oprah was. So I'm just going to leave it there. Like when you explain that, we can talk like and If you don't know what I'm talking about, just put Michelle Obama penis on Google, make sure safe search is on because God knows what you'll find otherwise. And go the to images. And go to images and then you tell me what that is. Just put in Mike Obama tranny. All the <laughs> you'll find it. Yeah, just safe search. <laughs> safe search. Okay, I'm trying to get a question up, but it's fighting with me. This is about Coinbase. Okay. Network uh, fees have gone up. Ah. Yeah, so I don't want to turn this into a Bitcoin episode because we're going to talk about this tomorrow okay. on my show. But the short version, there's a thing called ordinals, and there's basically space in the Bitcoin blocks where people are creating these stupid JPEG images and encoding them in the blocks. This is making sure that all the blocks are full so there's more data in each block as each transaction block goes through Bitcoin. This is raising fees for everybody. It's actually a network where the more use, the more cost. Okay. And, you know, there's a lot of debate in the Bitcoin community of how to fix this. Some say, well, they'll get tired of wasting their money and go away. Some say it's an attack vector. We should do something about it. And you can't wait for that to happen. The solution right now is to do what I've always said, self-custody your Bitcoin. But I also have always said, like, I'm not worried about the fact that you have 800 bucks on Coinbase. I'm worried about the fact you have $80,000 on Coinbase. So simply, if you're DCAing, or whatever, and you're doing this like weekly, daily, whatever, let your balance accumulate until it's enough that it makes sense to do a withdrawal and then withdrawal to your cold storage. That's your short-term solution. So if you're buying 100 bucks a week from Coinbase right now, do not immediately withdraw, which is what I had always recommended up till now. Wait till you have four, five, 600 bucks, and then your percentage that you're paying for that withdrawal. And I will also tell you that I have found that the lowest cost, I probably shouldn't say this, the lowest cost Four withdrawals tends to be Sunday mornings, U.S. time. 
So early Sunday mornings, withdrawals from Coinbase tend to be really, really low. Uh, other times, but it's ordinals descriptions that are causing this this cost thing. What are you currently recommending for off storage? Um, Trezor Model T. Trezor. Yeah, yeah. Model T. And if you get one of those, you want to plug it in about once a month in case yeah. there's update. You kind of need to keep it up to date. Yeah. yeah. Or and if you screw that up, it. just put it on a different computer and do a restore with your seed. Have you yeah. seen all the all the stuff going around about CIA? Um, or NSA having invented Bitcoin and what's the, what's the guy's name? The Satoshi, whatever. There's a, there's a paper out there and it's yeah. it, the two names White are transposed. Paper. Yeah. Yeah. From, That's from, I guess, right. You're talking about who keeps insisting he's Satoshi and everybody knows he's not. Um, it's all nonsense. There's a whole, so we're about to go into another super cycle. It's, it's mathematical. It's a four year cycle. We're going to have another halving in a couple months. And so all the shit starts. Roger Ver and, and Craig Wright stick their heads up like groundhogs every year about this time or every four year cycle like this and start all their bullshit about Bitcoin cash and BSV and all that. And Craig is just desperate for people to believe that he's Satoshi Nakamoto. He's not Satoshi Nakamoto. And it's very, very simplistic. There is a huge amount of Bitcoin that was mined in the beginning that's sitting on addresses that Satoshi mined. We know this. It was in the forums when it was being developed. It's there. None of it has moved since it was put there. Now, we can do inscriptions. We just mentioned that. You can, like, record data into the blocks. So he could move one Bitcoin. He could put a transcription on one of those blocks that says, you know, I am Craig Wright. I am Satoshi. But he won't because he can't because he doesn't have access to him. He says he lost it. So this genius computer programmer lost access to his multi-billion dollar Bitcoin. No, I'm sorry. That doesn't hold any water at all. And the most interesting thing is with the first time he did this, Satoshi must have still been around at the very beginning because all of a sudden on one of those blocks, a little inscription popped up. And you know what it said? Craig is a liar. Yeah. Now, as far as CIA, I, I don't know. I'm done with that. I've heard this shit my whole life. Did the CIA create the Internet? Probably. And we all sit around using it today because once you let something go like that, it's like letting animals go. It doesn't really matter who did it. Like Jurassic Park at the the, and the last one where like they took over the whole thing. That's what Bitcoin is today. You can't turn it off. You can't shut it down. I'm sorry. It is what it is. Um, there's a lot of shit going on because of the ETF. That's probably going to be approved in uh, about six days. Uh, we'll probably get the approvals on, on all the ETFs that are out there. I mean, these companies are already starting to develop television advertising for them and stuff like that. They have back channels that are telling them things or they wouldn't be doing that. And that's going to open up this giant wall of money. At the same time, Pocahontas, Liz Warren, has, you know, drafted another bill that she's introduced to ban Bitcoin. Stop meanwhile, caring. she buys it. Yeah, meanwhile, Stop she's buying the caring. shit out of it. Yeah, probably, probably. Um, you should look at Nancy Pelosi's husband's Bitcoin holdings. That would probably tell us a lot. But th this is what people tell me. Liz Warren, Liz Warren. Liz Warren's been a senator, I think, since 2014. She's passed zero bills that she sponsored. Well, it's not that she sponsors, that she originated. Because people sponsor shit all the time. But her bills have never, she's never passed a bill in the United States Senate. I'm not worried about Pocahontas and I do whatever you want. I think it's time that we, you know, accept that we've heard all this stuff for years. I, I don't care. Like I said, I'm going to do tomorrow the show. Like basically, would you get on a generational starship? Yeah. I've been trying to figure out what the argument is when people tell me they won't do Bitcoin 
because okay, you know, because it's okay. the CIA. I know exactly. It's the CIA <laughs> project, and they're going to yeah. get you with it. And I'm like, okay. how are they going to get like how? how? Tell me how, and they don't know how they it works, so they can't yeah. tell me how. So we it's that. two basic arguments, right? It's a new world order front, and that Bitcoin's going to become the global currency. Great, then you should buy all of it, right? The government's going to shut it down, so they hate it. So you should buy all of it. Those are those are my two responses, but I have gotten to where my real answer is what I just gave you. Okay, I'm not going to buy Bitcoin. Okay, yeah, Fine. I get to buy more until you do, because what do you think is going to happen when these ETFs get approved? I know it's going to happen. That that makes me want to buy more Bitcoin in the next six days. Yeah, <laughs> just saying. Uh, let's see. And it probably will sell the rumor by the news. Yeah. So people will expect that this will happen overnight. It won't blow up overnight. It'll take time for it's going to take things like people say, well, this wall of money. And they're talking about like all the Roth IRAs and all this stuff. Right. OK, well, the first thing that's going to happen is most of that money is in 401ks provided by employers. It's going to take employees going to their employer and going, why can't we buy Bitcoin in our 401k? It's going to take that to open up that money. That's not going to happen instantly. Yeah. Here's a question. What's your biggest goal that you want to accomplish in 2024 from Hogs 14? I've decided that's how you say that name, by the way. (laughs) I heard you try to say his name once on one of your lives. I'm like, that happens to me too. If, If he wants his name said right, he needs to make it easier to pronounce. He's Hogs now. Yeah. You go first, John. We're just doing the same shit. Um, what what was to, today's what? The second? Yesterday was the first. On the first day, I had a new uh, sheep born. I've got another one that's about to drop Yay! one. I went out and built a lean-to yesterday. I started framing in this other tiny house that has a porch to make it a greenhouse on that front porch. Um, I did all the other shit. I was up at 4.30. I worked out. Um, I ate prime rib or ribeye twice yesterday and already ate it. This I'm doing all the same shit, all the exact same shit. I'm not trying to figure out how to spend less money. I'm trying to figure out how to make more money. Not really trying to figure out. It's just simple in action. If I'm not making more money, I'm going to do the same stuff. I'm going to, I'm look. I am looking to buy an old truck, like a really old truck. Um, but we're just doing the same shit, man. Jack, how about you? I am aggressively building an online education program for people to learn how to grow their own food. And I have completed my first course, which is on bioreactor composting. It is done. Uh, Tom is finishing up the site so we can accept payments and do discounts and stuff like that. We're filming kind of a bonus video to go with it. And that, once that's integrated, I'm actually raising the price on the first course. First course is cheap. It's 35 bucks. Because I want people to be able to come in and get a look at it. And I believe that it's something that anybody can do. And it'll make a major difference in your homesteading, your gardening, your food production, your pasture, any of that stuff. Uh, it'll work for. Uh, it also has helped me learn how to develop courses as courses versus just raw teaching like I do on a podcast. And it was a lot more work than I thought. So we now have a six-chapter course, five quizzes at the end of each chapter. And after the final chapter, a final 40-question comprehensive quiz or exam, I guess you'd call it, with full certification, signed by me, et cetera. And we'll be releasing early in this year three courses. The first one is the the bioreactor. The second one's going to be on cover cropping. And the third one is going to be on biochar. 
and they'll kind of go into a trifecta of certification and we're going to, we're going to build that platform out. And it's, it's what's always held me up on it is I feel like I give away all this information for free and I'm like, just go do it. But then people keep asking for classes, courses, more material on how to do it. And so we're going to find out, is it toolbox fallacy or are they willing to put a little bit of money in the game? Cause I think if you won't pay 35 bucks for a course, you don't really care. I mean, that's people that will say that's too much money. Go out and spend $35 a week on Starbucks. So if you want to learn how to grow more food, I have that platform coming and then we'll get into the aquatics, you know, after that, as we build that out. But uh, I don't want to give away the site yet because it's not ready for prime time, but we are doing a hands on class Saturday this week. And if you're in my audience and you signed up for it and you paid for it, and you didn't get an email yesterday. You, you need to let me know because uh, I put up a public post, but I didn't give away like my address and my phone number and stuff like that. So that's my main goal. Get that going. And that's evergreen content. You're going to reach a ton of people that are not your normal audience. And that's something that people every day can give you money for, for doing nothing. But then when you promote it, you'll get even more money. Your audience, some of your audience will buy it, but I bet you find that the majority of the people that buy that are not even your audience. That's my goal is to make it an outside funnel that one makes money and two, some portion of that funnel becomes part of the audience and to have something that I can sell. I do a lot of speaking engagements and stuff and the best speaking engagements are where people don't know you, right? At least half the audience doesn't know who you are. Well, a lot of those people at these, these things that I do, they're not really podcast people. I need something for them too. I need something I can promote. If I'm going to do, I want to do more interviews this year too. I mean, go out and be on other people's stuff. I need something I can sell beyond, Hey, come listen to my show. And so I'm, I'm actually going to format for each of these courses sample interviews like I require people to basically give me what my interview would be for my guest form which somebody else uses because it works so well um, I'm going to actually develop the like a push out version of that and go out kind of do the podcast circuit maybe two interviews a month where I go out and pimp this and push this more than the podcast because I've been around as a podcaster long enough if you want to find me you found me that's kind of the way I look at that but people are hungry for raw skills and they're going to be hungry for food. I'm trying to fit both of those into this. And I've kind of come up with these three things fitting together in a way like the the production I had last year in a relatively modest garden was beyond anything that I've, I've done. And this year, I mean, Nicole was here. We had a full on freeze and I had freaking tender annuals like peppers survive freezes unprotected because of what we've done with soil. I think there's value in knowing how to do that. There's a lot of value in knowing how to do that. My biggest goal is to hone in on the best places to put my attention. And that is my word of the year is hone. And it means a lot of things. I have some ambitious projects. We've got uh, two more self-reliance festivals coming up. My spring workshop is going to be focused on, more uh, back to the basics on skills. So some wild crafting and some other things like that. And the book, My Three Things, is coming out this year. I'm doing a homegrown cooking project with Don Gorham, where we go nose to tail on animals because people buy whole animals and then they stick around with that cow's tongue in their freezer until they feed it to their dogs. And it's one of the best cuts, actually, of the cow if you cook it right. And it's not hard to cook. So we're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff like that. But what I realized last year is I was focused so many different places that 
I needed to make better decisions about priority. And so this year it's like every day I journal about it right now. Where am I, where am I putting my attention? What's, what's bringing the best benefit for the community and for me? So it's not really a goal. It's just a focus. That's not a goal. You just it's just did it for me. I, I have a word of the year now. Build. 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 Own. Build. Mine's build. And I'm going to, I'm going to, on tomorrow's episode, I'm going to push that and give you credit for it, that everybody needs the word of the year, that you judge your progress for the year by that word. And no matter you don't take my word or Nicole's word unless it fits. Like when you when you said that immediately after what I just said, that word came to my mind. Give Jenny credit for it, though. This is a okay. All right. <laughs> I took it from her. It okay. totally fits my my three things. I have a chapter on it in my book, but I totally okay. took that from her. <laughs> as much as I would love to have credit for that. All right. <laughs> They'll give you dual credit because you're who I heard it from and she's the source. Right. So like, yeah, like build like everybody should have something that you're gauging your life by all the time. And no one knows your capacity to fuck up or achieve better than you, right? No one knows that. We're our own worst critics, but we're not our own best coaches, and we should be. Because you can, no matter how good a coach is, you can bullshit a coach. But if, if it's athletic, you can say, I, I pulled my tendon or some shit. You can't bullshit yourself. You know when you're lying to yourself. And so that accountability, I think, is awesome. Accountability. John will not comply. Tell us about that, spirit, John. <laughs> Um, it says, do not comply. The back says freedom. The freedoms you surrender today are the freedoms your grandchildren will never know existed. We do a shirt every week. This is this week's shirt. They are online at soetacticalgear.com. Are we doing the go around thing right now? Is that what we're doing? That's or are we still going? We're still going unless you need got it. Got it. Yeah. No. no, I just saw that. I mean, that shirt is so simple and beautiful. We're, we all wore, wore, wore different shirts today. Yeah, Jack. What was what was that planned community you guys were uh, working on years ago? Perma ethos. And, How much property it, was that going to be? The place we tried to do it was 110 acres. Got it. We're but trying. It was to, never going to be what I wanted it to be at that location. It 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 was a hybrid attempt that I let some people talk me into trying. I would actually love to do it as a real community doing it in a way that would really work starts to get into some interesting, complicated things with people like the FTC. Yep. (laughs) So we're doing homestead apprentice, uh, which kind of started as man camp. We were just going to have a bunch of, you know, men and kids, women to come together and just teach people how to do basic things, change a tire, cook an egg, you know, just, just stuff that kids don't know how to do. And Evan said, man, we should do that as kind of a, um, a tryout, a selection for apprentices and then take the apprentices and turn them into employees. And that kind of has evolved into homestead apprentice, which we have the the website and all the socials there for, and we've been shooting content for, but we're looking at running what's called the gauntlet. We're going to bring in 50 people and just do a three day intensive um, selection and then whittle that down to two 12 man teams that'll come and actually live here for six weeks. And it's going to kind of be a cross between uh, the apprentice, you're fired. And then the experts and we're going to, you'll be provided a lot of training. There'll be a ton of different training in there. And then as well as business development, right? People kind of gravitate to the things they want to do. I, that's what I was really talking to Salatin in the interview about was 
And he says, you know, we don't push people into these jobs. They kind of select the job. So, for instance, I, I use eggs as an example, right? If somebody really likes taking care of the chickens and gathering the eggs, that's cool. How do you make money off of that? We can put a road stand out there, but how do we bring more people? How do you market that? Mm -hmm. How do you advertise that? How do you monetize that? How do we now take that outside of the immediate, you know, five mile area? And that's what we want to develop. And then take that person, take those last people standing and provide jobs for our companies that are involved in this radio made easy, special operations equipment, hauler roast. Um, and then as well, give them a piece of property. What we're looking at is a 10 acre property right now. And then the winner, the, the primary winner will be given an acre on that property and that will be his property. And then when we run the second class selection um, homestead apprentice, we will use that workforce to develop the common areas on that 10 acre property, pond, mm -hmm. water catchment, whatever, and then kind of go from there. So, we're, we're just working on that. We've got dates on there. Uh, we're taking applications, video applications for people interested right now. Um, but anybody interested in that, you can see it at homesteadapprentice.com and then the, all the socials there also for that. Yeah, it's coming fast. That's about it. It is. It's, it's in May. May. May is almost upon us. Yep. <laughs> when I originally tried to do my vision of this, we had found like a 500-acre property. I remember um, and it was very affordable for what it was. And I put out some feelers and I had about four and a half million dollars worth of pledged capital in about 48 hours. And, yeah, and, then I, and then fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, I went and did the first perma Kurtzel voices as a speaker. And a guy that worked for the FTC came up to me and said, if you do this, they will put you in prison. He didn't say they might. And he said, like, I'm not here to rain on your parade. I love what you do. I've been listening to you forever, but this is who I work for. And it's not if, it's that they will put you in prison. And then I had a whole bunch of monkey fucks in my audience, like, you should do it anyway. Well, <laughs> that's really easy for you to say, right? Like, are you just going to be afraid of them? Well, in some instances, like, if it's a thing that if I do this, then this will happen. And I already know that, and I do it. You're going to be the first person to tell me I was a dumbass for doing it after I do it and go to prison. You're not going to be there helping me out. Not that you no, put then, the, you the execution of the federal search warrant won't be on their premises. No, 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 no. He's like, yeah, they'll put you. You're a public personality. You cannot raise funds this way. We're looking yeah. at it as we can we can find people of like mind that we want to invest time and money and effort into. Yeah. And also bring people into the community to build the community. Right. Yeah, we have the footprint. We've got the attention. Now let's find the people that match, because I, I, I say often, you know, I used to jokingly say, I'm like, I don't need to know that guy's name for 90 days until until they've given him a nickname, because people will really they'll come in and put the best foot forward. They'll do everything yeah. to get the position and then do nothing to keep the position. And a lot of those people, I really believe if you're not growing, you're dying. And if you're dying, you're necrotic and that infects other people. So. You really don't know what you're dealing with until you've been through some hardship together and put forth in sweat and blood and actually developed and, and you know, built something together. You really have no idea because there's no, nothing is pressure tested anymore. Yeah. FNG, right? That's, that's that person. And they got to be yep. that for at least 90 days, at least 90 days. You're the FNG. And if you don't know what that is, look it up. Yeah. But you're not going to say it live on the Internet? No. There's there's plenty of guys that make it through special operations selections for, for every group. 
and then they have they get peered out, right? They might make it through SQ2, and they might have made it through all the buds phases and everything, and then get to a platoon, and you can still be peered out by your peers. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's solid, though. Yeah. Yeah. Jack and I were in a uh, highlight war. Yeah. That's why I always do this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like what you're doing. I think the smaller approach is probably a good idea. I think I tried to bite off a lot more than was probably going to make sense at the time. And it may be a blessing that we didn't actually get it done at that time. I don't know if I was ready to do it. I do know if I ever do something like this again, when we did do it, we did it in West Virginia. I will net if I cannot get out of bed at six o'clock in the morning and by 10 to 11 in the morning, step foot on the place. I will never do it again. Yep. That if you're going to put your name on something, you have to be able to completely take command of it whenever necessary and, and make hard decisions. And this is what I've learned. People say, well, you know, you can do it remotely and you know, no, you can't because people will lie. So I'm not going to get into the gory details of it, but I had in that situation, two people that were supposed to be working together giving me completely different stories. And until I had them both report to me every morning, like children, which I don't ever want to do again in my life, I wasn't able to get those stories consistent when they realized that I was doing it to both of them, which took them about two weeks because they were both a little slow on the uptake and didn't realize that the other one was doing it too. And that started to give me a clear picture of what was going on. And then I was able to take corrective action where if I had been there, I'd be like, you're both full of shit. Go do it now. But I couldn't do that because I didn't really know. And you don't want to be that person when you're wrong. It's okay to be that person when you're fully informed, but when you're wrong, you damage relationships with people that work with you and for you in ways that you can never repair. So you have to be very cautious about taking that hard line, but you have to be able to do it when you need to, if that makes sense. You have to be present. I mean, I got to, I got to, building right up the road it's literally a quarter mile up the road and we had thousands of animals there and i had two full-time guys taking care of reptiles and if i didn't go there every week and it really needed to be every other day or so you would go in there and find we were breeding you know rats we were producing 200 rats a week and you'd go in there and find flooded trays and you'd find uh water five gallon hoppers up top with no water if i'm out of water in a five tray stack that means they haven't put water in that thing in two weeks and these are these are high paid, you know, people yeah. who who have a they seeked me out to do the job, right? I wasn't like, will you please come take care of these animals? These are like legit like zookeeper type people. And if you're man, if you're not there, if they don't if they know that you're not gonna be there, then you've got nothing, man. If if you're not just dropping in, and I wasn't ever checking on them, I would drop in literally to take pictures of animals to post them on social media at night. And I'm like, where is this? you know, $800 snake. Oh, I moved it. And then you find it in the, you know, you find it in the dumpster out there. You just happen to, I'm like, well, this place is a mess. I'll come in here at three in the morning and clean out, you know, and vacuum all this shit up. And then you find an animal just in the dumpster dead. If you're not there, man, I couldn't even imagine trying to manage a project in another state. I'm a, I'm literally five minutes up the road and had that (laughs) shit happening. Yeah. Yeah, that's see, that's what I'm saying. That's why I don't like I don't know how you do it with employees, John. I, I, I at one time was the COO of a company with twelve hundred and fifty contractors. I, yeah, I, I, I don't ever want that in that's like Satan in my life now. I don't want it. I, you know, and I've tried to do partnerships, too, and that's always failed. Like I've always given people too much too early, I think. 
Like, and then they just don't do the thing that they said they wanted to do. And I've started to realize if they really wanted to do it, they would have done it on their own. And so, you know, like if you want to do something with me, go make it fundamentally successful first and then bring it to me. And then we can talk about combining things and taking it to another level. But until you do it, I don't even want to talk to you. I, I'll help you emotionally, I guess. I'll provide content, whatever. But I, I'm not putting my name next to yours until you're already successful. And I know that sounds like such a dick move. And it's why it took me so long to get there. Because I, I remember when I was young and hungry, if someone had given me the opportunity that I've given people, you would have had to blow me out of it with dynamite. That's how motivated I was. But that's why I also ended up doing it on my own. And people say they want a shot, but what they really want is like they want it to be easy. And working with somebody that already has a brand, a name that can springboard you makes it easier. It will not make it easy. None of this is fucking easy. None of this is easy. All of it requires moments where you're going to be like, oh, my God, can I do this one more day? And if you're not the person that can get past that gut check, stick on a W-2. But not for me, man. Don't one, do of, one of the things John said in answer to a question about how to stay motivated, it was one of my favorites of 2023, was like, what, you think I'm motivated to do this every day? No, I just <laughs> I don't even know if he remembers saying that, but he went off. I, like, some days I'm motivated, other days I'm like, I just got to do it because I know that if I don't do it, then I'm I'm wimping out on my goals. You know, the people that say shit like that, that they make like they pop out of the bed in the morning and my alarm clock's now an opportunity clock and I'm greeted. You're full of shit. We all wake up and go, I don't want to get up right now. It's all warm in there. It's cold out there. But I, you know what? There's birds that have to come out. There's my, my grandkids are coming. The day's going to start. I have to do my show. Like, so I'm not necessarily motivated to get up, but I'm motivated to like look around at my life and go, this is pretty awesome. I don't want this to go away. And I want it to get more awesome before I check out. That's the motivation. The motivation's out here. It's not when you wake up in the morning. Like, you know, when, 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 when I used to hunt a lot more than I do and you wake up and it's freaking 17 degrees outside, I'm not motivated to climb up a tree and sit there and freeze. Uh-huh. But I would do it if I really wanted the deer. So that's like, you got to find that for yourself. But yeah, I'm not, I'm with you, John. I'm not motivated the way they mean. No, people, we've, we've, really ruined people with that, that word balance, right? People watch social media and social media has given everybody a voice and people tend to, they're attracted by things that they like, right? So, so if you think your life is difficult, you're definitely going to consume some content where a dude says, Oh, you need balance and you need to, you know, all these things need to work. If, if you have a business that you want to be successful in, that is your, that's everything, right? If you're starting a business everything is the business. You don't have time for family. You don't have time for anything. Everything is the business. And if you're lucky, your family is included in that. My kids were raised at my business. Baby cribs were in my shop. When I slept in the shop, when I drove up to the first shop I had, I couldn't afford the building. I didn't have, I couldn't afford to turn the water on. We barely had the power on. And when I drove up to the first shop, I ran out of gas and the city gave me two tickets that night and I got some Marines to help me push the blazer around back. I lived in the building for 90 days. I didn't leave the building for 30 days. I didn't have a mattress. I didn't have a bed. I didn't have a shower. I lived there for 30 days. People just have no concept now of what, what they're capable of, right? People have no concept of what difficult is. I was building equipment and trading Marines 
for broken down MREs that they were coming. They were supposed to have thrown away. I lived on MR. I gained 20 pounds in a 30 day period just eating MREs. And I, I just took a bath with a towel, you know, in, in some water that we filled up in a water cube from somewhere else. But it's just what we do, man. People like this is really hard. Is it hard? No, hard is me having, if I had to push that skid steer across the property or figure out how to move it with no, you know, power, that's hard. Getting up in the morning, feeding these animals, you might not want to do it. But it's not hard. We have changed and reprogrammed people, right? There's a difference between hurt and injured. This hurts. That's fine. It's okay to be uncomfortable. Injured is something different and everything has been commingled. If yeah. like, we think, we think shit's so hard. Farmers hold a full time job in order to be able to farm. Most farmers are not profitable. Yeah. Like my buddy farms 1500 acres and works a 60 hour job and farms 1500 mm. acres and we talk about getting up at 4 30 in the morning that dude ain't gone to bed by 4 30 in the morning like you, know, you got five thing, though this is like if if youtube existed in the 70s there'd be three 50 year old people saying the same shit we are right now back in 1975 yep it's yep. not really it's that this is new that people don't want to do it it's that there's only a small segment of people who will will and that's your opportunity because when you were telling that story john I was remembering it was either like Harvey McKay or Zig Ziglar or something back when I was in like car university, when I was traveling for my first sales jobs and I would listen to stuff like that over and over again. I remember he told this, one of them told a story about this dude that came from Vietnam right at the end of the war, right after the fall of Saigon and his uncle owned like a whole bunch of donut shops. And his uncle said, I'll give you a job working in one of the donut shops. So he worked in a donut shop. Like you, it sounds like your story. Like he lived, him and his wife lived in the back room. They took showers in the sink. And in six months, he had made enough money to buy that donut shop from his uncle. Then they, like they, they could have like taken that, gotten credit, bought a house. They lived in the donut shop for another year and a half. So two full years of living in the back room of a donut shop, living on leftover donuts, like your MREs. And then they bought their first house for cash somewhere in like yep. the mid late seventies, which was not a great time to buy a house for all people. It's so hard to buy a house. You go talk to your grandfather who bought one in 1978. Okay. Yeah. Go talk to somebody who bought a house in 1981 about how hard it is now. So that's when he came into it. He ended up, this dude, his name was Lee something. He ended up being like this incredibly wealthy real estate investor, but that was because he lived on donuts and, and, and took baths in a shop sink for two, two years. Yeah. Right. And so, but was everybody willing to do that in the 1970s? No, this isn't new. This is the same thing over and over and over again. There's people who will and people who won't. And if you're somebody who will, then you have an advantage. And if you're not somebody who will, then you're, you do have one play left. And that is you can become somebody who will. You can motivate yourself that you want things to be better in your life enough that you become somebody who will. You'll notice that Nicole and John and I, we will motivate you, but we don't use flowery language. If I believe it, I can achieve. We don't say crap like that, right? Even though it's true at its base, it's so surface. It, it's like it's like spraying rose-colored oil on shit. It's still shit. 
You got to move the shit pile or compost it, right? You got to do something with it. You can't just spray it with some Febreze and expect everything to get better. And like, I think it is worse today though, to your point, John, because of Instagram and TikTok and all, because all you have is all these influencers constantly showing the best of the best. They never show their, some do, but most, they never show failures. They never show misery. They never show anything that goes wrong. Everything's always heart, hands, and beauty, and perfect people reading books in their freaking tiny homes or whatever. It's all bullshit. Like, everybody that got where you want to be suffered. They suffered to get there. And if you want to start telling me, well, what about the kid that inherited? Shut up. I don't give a shit about the kid. Are you him? No. Are you that kid? Up And shut up. And are you really trying to be the son of a Rothschild? Or the people that you really want to be like are the ones that you actually do see? They all and if they didn't suffer, if they didn't suffer because they inherited it, somebody in that family at some point suffered to create that generational wealth. You want it in your family, you have to suffer. And that doesn't mean, you know, be hung from a tree and be flailed. What it means is you have to be willing to go through the kind of shit John was talking about. It's funny because I, I think this comment is meant as sarcastic. John has the voice and temperament of an angel. But actually, when I when I listen to him not respond full, like full aggressive to people giving him a bunch of excuses, he does have the temperament of an angel because I can just imagine what the voice in his head is saying. He's actually really good at not responding to that stuff and moving on to the people who will. listen. Yeah, you you guys are and and Greg's on my live every night. He knows what's up. Um, You guys are super lucky. I don't have a button where I could just vaporize you because most of you like. (laughs) Like you are super oh. lucky that there's that the band button stops at the computer. Like I do line that dot up on the on the windshield and just imagine being able to disintegrate you. Um, okay, we need John and Sonny on a panel at SRF with a vaporized button. Yeah, absolutely. And part of it too is like everybody's like, what should I do? I'm not going to tell you what I should, what you should do. I'm going to tell you what I would do. And you're either going to do that or not. Most people, they're not going to because they would be doing it already. Um, So I don't know why they just like to interact and and be in there somehow. It's like success zombies. If you go to 15 motivational conferences, you'll see the same dude at all of them. Um, And that's, that's what they do. And they just build content off of something that they've never actually successfully done themselves. But also, with with the being harsh like that, that truly is who I like. I want to say that to people in real life. And sometimes you'll see me just walk away and sometimes you'll see me really give it to them. Um, but it's very rare that a dude actually takes it and does anything. If you look at the dude that we were talking to at SRF, uh, Take the Ride and uh, Tinker Train is his um, his podcast, Tinker Tribe. That dude is working out every single day and, and I can't go on any platform Every single place I go on the internet, I see that dude out there every single day yeah. building projects, working out, yeah. and that's and and actually doing it. But also, when you give it to people like that, it just it it keeps you from having to do it a second time, right? I can take a fifty percent motherfucker and me be at a hundred that day and bring him up to seventy five, but it brings me down to seventy five. And that charging, you're a battery, right? So if I bring up a bunch of 50% of dude over and yeah, over and over, it, it makes me never capable of 100 again. Yeah. So everybody is contagious. Make sure you want to catch what you're about to catch. You can help somebody once. Like, I'll give you two chances. 
but you're never getting the second one. The second chance is me not killing you. Like, just stay away from me. See, he is an angel. Remember the old movie, The Prophecy, with Christopher Walken in it? And there's one line in it where one of the guys says, can you imagine being an angel? He's like, have you ever noticed that whenever God needs, like, good news delivered, whoever he sends an angel, but he also, like, when he needs people, like, laid to waste, he sends an angel. It was something to the akin of, like, one in, on one wing you're always praising your God, and the other wing is always dipped in blood. Right, and so there, they, it's the voice of an angel. Like, because sometimes the voice of an angel is not good. There's, there's more of them, but the, <laughs> there's more of them. But the only two off the top of my head is is that guy, take the ride, and Evan Dixon, right there, radio made easy. He was standing at one of the, fir- I think the first SRF, and I have a bucket full of radios. Of course, they're unprogrammed, and none of them will communicate with each other. And he's people kept pulling him out and going, "How much for this? How much for this?" Well, we weren't selling radios. They yeah. were finding them like under some shit in my personal <laughs> workspace. And Evan's like, hey, I have an idea. I think I should buy, I should sell radios already programmed. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You won't fucking do it. Like I just, and he's, he, I, I don't know if I heard it. I don't think I heard his feelings, but he actually did it in a huge, huge manner. And Evan has put himself places in business that he's brought me access in business that I didn't have access to. You know, and you're so, not. You're not going to hurt somebody by telling them, no, you won't. Would, would yeah. that make me think of long ago? I had John Dowie, who did the microgreens thing and all successfully at one of my workshops. He did like classes every day of the event. He did like three separate classes, went through everything, how to find customers fr- from the grow to the marketing and back again. And he had tons of people walk up to him and go, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And every single one would walk away and he'd go, no, you're not. But he never said it to them. One dude, the suspended dude named Roger, he's like, no, you won't. He was the one that did it. Yep. He was the one that act, the one that he told to his face, I don't think you'll do it, was the one that went out and did it. And he, he hooked up with another guy here. They built a farm together down by Austin. They built a uh, like an FDA-approved like processing room, they, and they've been successful. But he was the one told, no, you won't. So I, I think that people – and I, and I mean, not most people. I think there's people when they hear me speak like that, they take it in a negative personal manner. And really the way you should take is that I cared enough to actually give you that. I was sitting in a, a Perkins restaurant, the one and only time I've ever been in one. And there was this goofy, <laughs> there was this goofy kid in there. And uh, I'd made a video about it when I left. And, and that kid, there's a lot of, you know, cute little waitresses around and they're texting and, and just giving shitty service. And this goofy kid, was the only one giving any good sir, you know, um, any good service. And when I left, I go, you know, you could have any one of these could be your girlfriend, whoever they're talking to. They're not here with them. Like you could have any one of these and you could change the way you look. And I, I just, you know, a couple of little sentences and I left and I made, I talked about it on a video and my buddy, Justin Souders hit me up and he's like, why didn't you arm that kid? Why didn't you give him the real information? And I go, I don't know, man. He just, I, I don't know why I didn't like, I, it was one of those things like in a movie where you're in the, yeah. in the elevator with Tony Robbins. I truly believed that with five minutes with that kid, I could have completely changed the direction of his life to this day. This was probably, this was during COVID. I think is when this was. And Justin reaching out, he's like, Hey, why didn't you unfuck that kid? And I'm like, I don't know. And I, I regret I'm talking about it right now. I regret yeah. not changing that kid's life. And that's when I tell somebody, I'm like, you won't fucking do this. You're so full of shit. That's me 
taking that step because I want you to do it. And if you just react even a little, I'll be there for you. Like I, I can help you change the direction of your life, but you have to put some, I've put too much time and energy and money. And literally it destroys me when I, when I build somebody and think that we're going in a good direction and they fuck it up. It, it really, it, it eats on me and it really does take away part of my life force. Yeah. I got to a point where I started feeling like I wanted it more for them than they did for themselves. And that was cancer. Yeah. I get an email or three a week that are kind of in that kind of tone in my response. And, you know, one out of three will email me back all but hurt and angry about it. I was like, you're lucky you got a response. Yeah. I cared enough to tell you I thought you were full of shit. And I told you you were full of shit because one, I believed you were. And two, I thought you needed to hear it. Yep. And every once in a while, somebody surprised you and comes back around and says, thank you so much for telling me I was full of shit. I was full of shit. And I dumped the shit, and now this is what I'm doing. And then you're like, okay, I just got a payday. I don't think people really understand that. Like, when you do what we do, like, that's your big payday. When somebody says, I have this business, I'm doing this, whatever. I just bought my first house. I paid off all my debt. That's when you're like, fucking A, like, this is worth doing. Yeah. Yep. And that's why I don't do weekly coaching calls with people. Weekly coaching calls are an excuse. But we we do the uh, we just did with do you remember the girl at SRF the lady who um, was super cheery but also uh, hella yeah. smart Willow sunshine sunshine yeah, yeah the sunshine we we did a um, a roundtable with her in December brainstorming ways to monetize and before she jumped on that I asked her about ten questions and she did like a five page document like she really answered these questions so we knew like she spent a lot of time before that invested time coming up with concepts. And then she left with commitments from people who were in the live stream who would help introduce her to people like funeral home directors and that sort of thing, which makes sense if you watch the video, that kind of thing I think can be really helpful, especially if the person does the work before, before the, the, the accelerator. If they don't, if they just walk up there unprepared, then you already know it's going to fail. But I gave her, I gave her 20 minutes right out in front and we said the same thing. I'm like, you have to monetize this. You have to do social media. You have to monitor, but I don't know what my product is. I'm like, you are the product. Like you are the product. Like, and, and like we just kept going in circles and I finally walked away. I was glad to see that she actually did something on your show, but that's, that's the thing. You are the lead singer of your band. Motley Crue sells what pictures of D Snyder and music. You are the lead singer of the band. I don't think that's right. What? I don't know. I don't, I don't think D. Snyder's in Motley Crue. I think D. Snyder's Twisted Sister. You're, you're absolutely right. D, I right, should know right. that, too. Yeah, I was D. wondering if I had a brain aneurysm or something. But yeah, okay. he, was, like, he was awesome in, uh, <laughs> in the hearings. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But I, your point's Vince valid, Neal. right? Your point's totally valid. I, I literally was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Did I miss something? What is the, what is the lead singer of Motley Crue now? Like, it yeah. went away when you said that. D. Snyder killed Tipper Gore in those fucking Vince, congressional hearings. Vince, Vince something. Vince the, Neal. Vince, Vince Neal. Neal. Okay. I want to say he that, looks, but it sounded wrong. You he looks like a brain. giant. Yeah, he looks like a giant food blister now. Those he, are he looks old like memories. I was yep. smoking pot in high school when that was. You a do thing. have a freakish memory for detail from the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Well, yeah, but he, that was. He, D. Was Schneider cool. is. Uh, D, I've seen D. Schneider several times. My friend Chris Barrett. Uh, owns some gun shops and stuff. And D Snyder's been out there a lot. He's very, very uh, pro freedoms. And, yeah, yeah. and he, 
He just seems like a good dude. He also cameoed in uh, Cobra Kai, so you got to yeah. give a guy that, right? You know. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I the the people that will do something when you give them the hard side of it. When you were talking about it, John, it made me think of it as like if you were running like a drug and alcohol rehabilitation clinic where people come in to get clean, you get three different kinds of people that come in that door. You get the person that we can help. And that's the person that says, my life sucks. I need to do something. And they intentionally go. You get the person who is forced into it. And unless something magic happens, they're going to re- in the relapse. And then you get the person that like wants everybody to shut up. So they say they are going and they show up and say, I'm here, but they're not really there. And it's only the first one. And it's not that the other two can't be helped. They have to somewhere in that journey trans transition to realize, oh, I really do need to do this. And you almost have to go at building something beyond a job as like you're becoming a uh, like you're you're going through getting off being an alcoholic. Because you've been conditioned your whole life to think in a way that fundamentally cannot work as an entrepreneur. I don't know if you've noticed this, Sean, but it, t- employees have a tendency to think that companies just have money. Right? <laughs> yes, they do. If you own a company, you just have money to pay them with, right? Like, like there's this there's this box of money that just has salaries on it, and that that box is always full. And no matter what happens to the company, that you can still pay get paid. So they don't take any vested interest in like the company being profitable so they can keep their jobs. And so that mindset has to die. And so if you think of anybody with like a dependency program, there's a piece of them that they've created that needs to die and they have to be reborn in a way to get clear of that. I think to go from an employee mindset to a true entrepreneurial mindset and the longer you've waited, the harder it's going to be, right? The guy that's been an alcoholic for 20 years it's a lot harder to get through the 12-step program than a dude's been an alcoholic for a year. And so, like, you have to let some old piece of you die. And this is a funny thing. No matter how bad that thing is, you're attached to it, and you don't want it to die. You don't want to let go of it. Because then that means I can never, like, people that need to quit drinking, like, but that means I'll never be able to drink again. Well, maybe you can't. Well, maybe that's what you need to do. So if I can't ever whine and bitch anymore, that's, pretty hard to accept right you know you know well you can still whine and bitch you just can't use it as an excuse anymore you can bitch while you're doing the work and that's very hard for some people to make that transition i bitch all the time but while i'm doing the work yeah Yeah. it's because you tie your identity in things that are not really you like one does not i'm not pointing anybody out but i know every time i make a significant positive change in my life I have to mourn something that I was hanging on to for some bullshit reason that makes no sense. And that goes from changing how I eat to deciding to build holler roast, despite the economy being kind of crappy. Like we're, we're right there again. I think we're, we're going to have a hard year and it's the best year to grow Buy the beans. I'm buying the beans this week. As a matter of fact, buy the beans. always buy the beans. That should be a shirt. Buy the beans. Uh, It is. It is. I believe. Coffee, coffee should be an easy one to, to build and grow. People love coffee. Because, because everybody drinks coffee. Even people that don't like coffee drink coffee. And if you look at what Tim Poole and the quartering and uh, Jeremy from over there, who's uh, Shapiro's crew over there in Nashville, all of them are running paid promotions on YouTube for their own coffee. If you look up coffee brand coffee, 
you, I, we talked about this probably a year ago. That's, that's, we need to figure out how they're doing that shit. How is it that every damn video I pull up on YouTube, I get a fucking paid advertisement for some food company? That might be the best. Like, I see it so damn often, I'm never buying your shit. But the coffee companies, man, just figure out what that paid click-through promotion is and do that shit. And when you have too much, just turn that promotion off. But if you, if you, like, if you are not sure what to do and you want to be involved in our industry or gun industry or any, whatever it is you like to do, figure out how to do the money-making side, the backside of social media. And you'll be accepted and welcomed in, and people will give you a percentage of the money you make. If if you're sitting around like, what should I do? Do that. Figure out how to get promotions for podcasts, how to get affiliate links, and then bring bring that to people who are too busy doing their shit and go, I can get you these five companies. This is what your potential to make. I want 50%. I want 30 whatever it is. You're not wrong. Figuring out how to target on YouTube was not hard, by the way. Because we did that with the Joel Salatin videos for SRF. It took two weeks to figure out. But learning how to sell is always the thing, right? In case like, anybody cares about that targeting. It's it's actually, I, I would say YouTube has the best targeting tools out of any of the Really? Things. Yeah. Maybe you should sell how to target. Mm. Oh, that's a great webinar idea. Yeah. I need 12 yeah. webinars. So yeah, we'll do so that, that would be a good one because no matter what you're teaching people, if they're going to monetize it, they need to know how to do that. Mm. You know, something I don't, I haven't really got into targeting YouTube ads at it's, all. It's a royal pain in the neck to use yeah. their interface. But once you get past the royal pain in the neck part, actually there's some pretty good ways to target. I haven't used pay-per-click on Google forever, but it used to be the best, it, but it took that took months. Yeah, and Facebook really, really messed theirs up. Like that yeah. whole meta thing, it's terrible now. Yeah. I hate it. Somebody else is probably really good at it. They're listening to this going, Nicole, it's so easy. I'm like, yeah, reach out to me. But yep. no matter what, <laughs> learning to sell is the thing. Like people say, what's well, the hardest part of farming? The, the answer, if you really know it, is selling the food. I can grow food, but you got you to sell it to somebody. You're, you know, It tends to like rot and then become worthless. Right. That's why so many farmers farm commodity. They have a guaranteed place they can dump it, even if they don't make money on it. They know they can get paid for it. And it also can sit in a silo for a couple of months if it needs to. But if you're growing lettuce, right, or if you kill the pig, you got you to gotta get you got to move the product. And and that doesn't change business to business. John can sew his ass off. He can get other people to sew their ass off. He can make all the equipment. What makes SOE successful is people buy it. Right. And what makes people buy it is his. Yeah. personality but That's, he sells it with his personality right, right? right. You can, people can and like, like literally it. the formula is right there you just watch yeah. it and you do it too yeah yeah but that, that takes really discipline too and i think that's the part for me it took a long time for me to get over my uh, hesitation to like to do the same thing all the time yeah but that's what it takes yeah yeah it and it, it sometimes it takes clearing the way too like when you asked me what, what my goal was this year to build this educational platform, I had to change the podcast schedule. Yeah. I had to do it. Like, I can't do five shows a, a week, every week, and build a platform for education. I, I, I got to a point where I'm like, if I'm ever going to do this, I have to readjust my workflow. And if I don't do it, then I can sit around and bitch about it. And then I'm doing the same thing I tell everybody else not to do. And, and that's one thing, like, those of you who have gotten successful, you have to be careful of. Once you're successful, it's easy to not grow because you're comfortable now. 
Yeah. How long are you going to sleep on the floor in the back of the donut shop? I, you know, and I, I'm, I'm done sleeping in the, in the donut shop. I mean, for me, it was sleeping in the back of a pickup truck. I'm done doing that. But I think there's a value in maintaining a small level of discomfort in your life so that you don't get too comfortable. I 100% agree with that. Discomfort leads to action, which leads to making yourself better. Okay, well, we're coming on two hours, guys. I think it's time to go around the horn now that John's back. So, <laughs> Jack, why don't you start? I am Jack Spierko, host of thesurvivalpodcast.com, also available if you're too lazy to type out all those nasty letters at tspc.co. If you go there, you'll see that we've been podcasting for 15 years. We have over 3,300-plus episodes, and there's probably something there that you want to know about. We talk about everything from good old-fashioned prepping and guns and tactical stuff like that to gardening and homesteading and permaculture and entrepreneurship, investing, etc. It's all available, again, at tspc.co. I am Nicole Sauce from the Living Free in Tennessee podcast, Holler Roast Coffee, and Self-Reliance Festival. That's three things to type out, but you don't have to. Go to NicoleSauce.com if you find out about any of those things. Awesome premium craft roasted coffee, a super event that we do with John Willis twice a year, and a podcast that will keep you motivated. That's all over at NicoleSauce.com. You can get to all of them. Or, of course, with the podcast, you can use your podcatcher on your phone and search Living Free in Tennessee, and it comes there. Plus, we do the Tuesday Live every Tuesday, usually at 1230, except for this one at 930. John, why don't you close us out? SOETacticalGear.com. We make nylon tactical gear, a lot of lifestyle gear as well. We do a different T-shirt every week, this kind of stuff. I do a live every night at 9 o'clock on my YouTube channel here. I've got two uh, video podcasts that go up that we do every week. And then we're also on Patreon. Make sure you follow Homestead Apprentice on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, if you would. And uh, follow that program. We're going to kind of do a TV show and show you as we go what that looks like. So even if you've already got your stuff set and you're not participating, um, there's still, you know, jump in there, follow us. I'm sure some of you will have something that we can actually implement in there as well as have you out to some of these events, even if you're not a participant. So if you would follow that and uh, help us drive that program. And uh, we will see you guys tonight at 9 o'clock on YouTube. You should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.